another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Miller McFadden. Sitting here with my, my two boys. It's, it's, uh, if you ever hear that real heavy breathing, you know that Tio Raff has just got his, he's used to the black hawk. What can I say? He's used to having the boom mic right up against his lips. <laughs> and you're just getting a big old outflow from his nostrils blown right onto the microphone. <laughs> How are you going there, Raff? Melon, I'm good, and I'm glad that you noticed and acknowledged my um, very efficient VO2 max. It's uh, it's like up there with 1% of the top athletes in the world. And that's, so for all the listeners, that's what it sounds like. When your VO2 max is like top, you know, top 1%, it's basically, yeah. it's that's how it sounds. So, hey, listen. Yeah, you sound like that stalker who calls and breathes on the phone. <laughs> yeah, that's such bullshit. It, it, that's not VO2 max. Raf did 15 push-ups before the episode. That's all he did. He just had a breath. I tried to get him to do a couple for me, but apparently Tony Senior says that doesn't work. Well, Raf's our workhorse. He carries the show and everything else, so he does all of our push-ups. He carries thank something. You for acknowledge- He's yeah, thank gonna- you for acknowledging that, Mike. <laughs> Finally. I've been gonna- trying to get you to say that in public. Sorry, Malin. I keep cutting you off. He's yeah. normally got a stick, a stick over his shoulder and a little red hanky tied up with his belongings and a straw in between his front teeth. <laughs> slow, slow poke Rodriguez. <laughs> Speedy, Speedy Gonzalez's cousin. That's that's the internal banter when sometimes T.O. doesn't quite hit the T.O.T. The time on target doesn't happen. Yeah, he carries things when he shows up, but, you know, how often is that, you know? 40% uh, of the time, every time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I love sledging, Raph. It's the best. <laughs> then he goes all quiet, just sits there and takes it. It's good. Yeah. The well, he mute, he doesn't take it. He mutes himself and then forgets to take it off. So he just sits there <laughs> laughing, like you know. But let let him own it. Let him own it. Uh, okay. Have you been, Mike? How's your week been, mate? Wait, can we talk about how Mike is looking like a dirty Frenchman? What's up with that dirty stash? <laughs> are we just are we Malin? Are we just going to ignore that? Dude, you look like a patter ass. What's up with that? <laughs> to the listeners, do you, do you see the redirect that Raph is attempting right now? Because he's literally getting it from both ends. And then he just, <laughs> you know, I haven't, I haven't shaved in like three days. So I have a little bit of stubble and that that's what he comes back with. So here, before you come on the show, actually re- remember what a joke is and what's funny because you can't talk to me about facial hair, Raph. Okay. Like, this is actually even, and it, you can actually see that it like covers majority of my face. It's not steel wool patches, you know, over there. Uh, you know, I, I don't need that. The top of my head, yes, fucked, but below the chin area, totally fine. So he does look on. like a Frenchman, though. He does look like he's from France, ref. I know. You should, you should be drinking bad red wine <laughs> and a really thin cigar. I have some apothic over on top of the fridge, so I could get some wine. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, is it, I mean, are you are, are you mad at God because he took all your hair from the top and put it on your face? Is that like a thing that you? Nah, it's an honest question. I'm not. This isn't even a joke. This is an honest question. This should be at the. Can we just change the topic subject now and just? Talk- <laughs> 
Uh, two things. Okay. One is uh, women have said that balding men or bald men are actually sexy. Okay. So look at that. There's Bruce Willis out there, you know, um, who else is out there? Who's the other guy? The British dude. Jason Statham. Melon's hero. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was like, Oh yeah. I know who Jason Statham is. Right. That's very sexy. And then if you're either balding or uh, what is it? Salt and pepper hair. It means you're seasoned and you've actually been through shit. You know, it's just, just like, uh, I just want to say you can't go to Bruce Willis anymore. Cause he's like 88. You dude, know what I mean? It's John McClain. It doesn't matter. He'll be in die hard 19 <laughs> and still be a badass and kill a, Hans Gruber's second, second, second cousin. All right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's Bruce Willis. But other than that, my week has been great. I turned in my final assignment for school. I graduate next week. Wow. And pending this grade, uh, I should get a 4.0, which is my goal. So I'm stoked to say that. Hey, that's massive. No joke. That's massive. Hats off to you. It's it's not easy to go back to study when you're working and when you've been out of study for a long time. Like you fall out of the habit, right? It's hard mm-hmm. to get back into the books. It's a different and it's a different thing than picking up like military courses and the way we train. Like to go back into proper academics. So good for yeah. you, man. Thanks, man. Well, it's up to you guys for influencing me to do it and mentoring me throughout it and sharing stuff. So thank you both even though you got your master's and MBAs and all that other bullshit and like, no one cares, but today's my day. So suck. (laughs) Uh, And I I just wanted a follow up, a follow up question for, uh, for Tio. I know that it was Michael's birthday recently and he and Soren are pretty close in uh, like the calendar for the birthday day. How's it been going? And did you guys do anything special for his birthday? We did actually, we, celebrated his birthday um the weekend before so his birthday is on the 10th of november we celebrated it i think yeah it was saturday uh the weekend before we just had family come over to the house um and just you know had uh nothing crazy we grilled burgers and just ran around the property and it was a full i mean it was straight up chaos it was a full house but it was it was fun you know it literally was a good time and he loved it he got a train set so now he's obsessed with this little train set that he has and uh, he's just, he's growing up too damn fast, man. Did he run free with a Buffalo? Was he just pantless just in his usual t-shirt? Oh yeah. He refuses to wear clothes. This kid. I mean, you get, we'll dress him up head to toe, turtleneck, you know, trousers, whatever. Within 15 minutes, the kid is butt naked running around, not just inside <laughs> the house, but outside the house. And, uh, and I mean, recently it's been snowing off and on with a little bit of rain and it, it does not stop him. It literally doesn't stop. This is a true story. A couple of weekends ago, it snowed where I live and I was trying to beat the weather. So I was outside trying to cut up some logs. Um, and I looked up and I'm bundled up. I'm like, I've got 10 layers of clothing and, you know, cause I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to that stuff. And this kid is literally absolutely ass naked, except for just a sweater that he's wearing, but he's just running around. I mean, he was out there for, and I was the instinctively, I was like, Oh, I need to run in and get some clothes on him. But then I thought, nah, if he gets cold, he'll go back inside. And he was out there for a solid 30 some minutes. I mean, just hanging out with pop while I'm, you know, trying to chop some wood for the, for the uh, fireplace. No no pants, no shoes, no pants in the snow and the fatties, obviously the fatties, you know, he runs around with, he thinks he's part of the wolf pack there. And so we have, (laughs) 
this, you know, retarded group of, you know, we have a fat Australian shepherd. We have uh, Dakota, our black lab mix. We have a little, we got a Pomsky, which I can't believe I'm saying with a straight face, but we do, we have one of those. And then we have a German shepherd um, that came with a certain addition to the house, but yeah. And it's, it's clear that the Scandinavian blood has fought off the blood from south of the border. If he's out there, no shoes, no pants in the snow. I mean, that's legit. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when he sees me take uh, baths, like, you know, I do ice baths in my bathtub. If he comes in and he catches me doing it, he wants in. And at first I'd be like, no, you know, don't get in here. It's freezing. And he would kind of get upset because he wanted to come in. I'm like, Soren, it's freezing. Doesn't matter. He wanted in. So I put him in. He was in there for five, five to six minutes shaking and he didn't want to get out. I'm not making this up. I mean, the kid's a maniac. And he frees for blood. I like this kid. I love <laughs> yeah. Soren. He's harder than his father. That's why I like him. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it's how about we just get into the this week's topic? So we've been we talk a lot offline. That's all the, the three of us are uh, obviously pretty good mates. We're in involved in each other's lives. And we've just sort of been bantering around the topic of it, it could come under a few different topics. We're not exactly sure what we're going to call this one yet, actually. No doubt you guys know because you saw what it was called because we finished the episode and came up with a name. But it's like something around the topic of who do you go to um, for advice and how much weight do you give them versus how much you trust yourself. And this is sort of out of that old Rudyard Kipling episode uh, poem, If... You know, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. And it's that balance between being able to trust yourself when you know you're right versus not being that asshole who is wrong and is ignoring advice from people who count and, and people whose opinions are actually spot on. And it's like a freaking balancing act, right? And we all have to walk that line from time to time. Speaking of the bean, we can hear the bean. Antlers. He's coming. He's coming. Join the the crew. Soren, yeah, he, he just came running in, and all he's wearing is his knickers. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that <laughs> blue knickers, man! What a champ! Uh, he looks like he's going to a swim meet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that child not smiling. By the way, Raf. We're listen, man. We really are some of the luckiest parents. We. He's such a good kid. For being our first, I absolutely won the lottery. He's a little maniac. Oh, no oh, birthday bean. Yeah, so the topic is the balance between trusting yourself and trusting other people's opinions and like self-belief and not being an asshole. It's like a it's like a bit of a yin-yang, right? And and I've been thinking about people founders of businesses like Elon Musk and I've been thinking about how many times they must have had people tell them that they are wrong and the things that they, you know, they know something that other people don't know in those examples. But you got to be careful to compare yourself to someone with the freaking mental horsepower of Elon Musk. And right. most of the time, most of the time, your the opinion of people around you is going to be accurate, and you do need to balance that. So this is the this is the topic for me, Mike. You know, it's something around trusting yourself versus 
trusting people around you. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, I, it's, it is a tough one, but I think, you know, we had some really good examples of, of why and how this happened or whatever. So anything that you're doing, you know, I I've been told this before is whatever decisions you make at one specific time, more than likely you've gone through everything, like every piece of the current knowledge that you have and use that to make your decision. Right. So it's, you take account for everything that you know, all your experiences, your past experiences, where you are in the present, and you collect all that together to make your best decision, right? 10 years fast forward, that's how we can go back and be like, wow, I really messed that up, or I didn't see that, or I didn't understand that when I made that decision. So in general, I think most people make their decisions with their best interests, and they use what they know at the time. I think that's pretty accurate, right? You don't know what you don't know. So that's just being honest. But, you know, there, there's, four, there's, four, there's four zones that I think we go through. And I, I kind of wrote them down is, you know, you have your comfort zone, which is your everyday where you're just waking up and you're comfortable. You're not pushing emotionally, physically, or anything like that. So there's no growth. You're just kind of comfortable. Uh, the next part would be a fear zone. So what is it, uh, you know, what is it that you start getting nervous about, start having some fear about, you know, are you influenced by others or is there excuses popping up in your head? You have some low confidence issues, you know, something like that. And you start getting into that realm after that. And this is probably the hardest part is you go from the fear zone to the learning zone. Right. Uh, and that, and again, don't just think, you know, scholastic learning or something like that. It's going to be physical, emotional, like whatever. And you're going to push through that barrier into the learning zone. Right. Uh, what basically what that is, is one, you're trying to grow and learn something or do something different for the first time. Uh, you're trying to extend your comfort zone uh, and you're up, you're going to be up for some, some problem solving and you're going to have to use some uh, learning skills in these new challenges. Right. So just looking at it from that part, you really have to lean on what you know, and then also look outside of yourself and bounce, as we always talk about, bounce some uh, ideas off of other people and see what they say, see what they tell you. Am I on the right track? Maybe they're farther down the trail with their wagon, you know what I mean? And going back to the scout and, and asking it. Um, and then the fourth zone there is the growth zone, which ultimately is where you want to be. So your growth zone, that's where you're, you know, you can see the vision, the motivation and growth. Like, you know, it's just like, man, I want to do 500 pushups and you start out and it's just like 500 pushups. That's a lot. Holy hell. That's the fear zone. And then you're getting through it and you do 50 and you're like, ah, that sucked, but it's not as bad as I thought. And you're going and, and you're learning, you're teaching yourself. And then you get to 500 and then you're like, wow, Hey, yeah, that sucked, but it didn't kill me. And I feel a lot better about myself. I feel stronger. I'm more confident. And you can start feeling that growth. That's your growth zone. Okay. Um, that all aligns with achieving goals, your high self-esteem, and, and, you know, and it just builds from there. And, and your comfort zone then is extended and all the other ones there. And usually the fear zone is minimalized. That's the only difference between all these. Your comfort zone gets bigger. Your fear zone shrinks your learning zone gets bigger and then your growth growth zone uh, gets exponentially bigger. 
right? So when you're going through that, to me, you lean on what you know, education, experiences, you know, all of that, and, and take that all into account. Before I act on those now, I, I bounced a lot of things off of Melon and Raph. Hey, does this make sense? Am I supposed, am I looking at this the wrong way? How else can I look at it? Because I can't think of anything else. What are the repercussions? What happens if I do this? What happens if I don't do this? You know, and weigh my options. Um, the point to this is this process that I talked about of these four zones and then also how I'm approaching it. What if Melon and Raph come to me and go, that's the worst idea and then whatever I've ever heard in my entire life. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But something inside is saying, no, I know this is the right way. Like it has to be the right way. Where do I go from there? I mean, that's, that's the balance point, right? I've, I've had thoughts around, you know, like who you go to for advice, like, you, you know, and it'll be different for different areas and you're effectively going to have like the masses and people, you know, and colleagues and acquaintances and family and everyone has an opinion on everything. If you ever ask anyone, no one has no opinion on a topic. <laughs> Everyone's got an opinion and everyone thinks they're right, obviously. And so how do you select? And so for me, it's like, do they have a history of achievement in this area? And do they also have a history, a proven history of having my best interests at heart? And this is that Tony senior statement around, do they have skin in the game? And it's, it's relationship stuff. It's that you've got a track record of this person has, has had my best interest. They're, they're the ones who will give you that hard truth rather than telling you you're great when you're going off to do something stupid. Yeah. It's so like, then, no, go ahead. Is this, uh, I was just going to say, it's like the, the movie Billy Madison with Adam Sandler uh, or no, maybe it was uh, no, it was, it was uh, big, big daddy, I think. And he's walking in the park and there's the old homeless guy on the side. And he's like, the kid's like, oh, yeah, you want to quit school? Go ahead, quit school. And he's like, school's for fools. Look at me. You know, it's it's pretty damn funny. Uh, it's a funny movie. But still, it's that to that exact point. Like, who are you asking? What's their track record? Where are they at in life? You know, and it's just it's literally like the answer is right in front of you. You probably shouldn't take the advice of that person if they don't even have themselves figured out yet or their life or situation you know you can still take small pieces of things and just have it as part of your data collection and consider it but it doesn't mean yeah. that like well they said it so and they're my you know they're my dad so they know better but they're also in a world of hurt right now so you know this is tony senior said crack open another one what kind of advice is that it could be like going to that dude is like no 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 trust me i know i know all about marriages i've had five you know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. that's what i was literally going to say i was like you don't go to the guy for what but then again kind of like what mike alluded to maybe you do go to a person like that for marriage advice and you jot that down under the absolutely do not do these things because you're going to end up married six times yeah i mean they need a proven track record this is one of my the point I'm making. And when you're selecting who to go to, they've got to have, obviously, you know, you're going to someone with an accounting degree for accounting advice. 
you know, like you need someone who's got expertise in that area. A lot of the stuff that we, that you want advice around is going to be a lot of this interpersonal social life stuff though, you know, and how do you pick those people? And so there's going to be people in your, in your circle who you know, and you've got a long history with, and you know that they have been walking the walk and talking the talk and they've been making hard decisions and those things have paid out over time. And you've got other people in your, in your circle and you know that the decisions they've made have not always been good and they're living a different life than that person in the first group. So for me, look for that history, a proven track record. And then the one about being able to select people wanting the best for you, like it, it'll be true because these will be people you've had some awkward conversations with. It's not always been backslaps and, you know, yeah, you're great. Yeah, crack another one or that that's that's a great idea, Melon. There'll be people who've been like, well, have you thought about this? And or people have come to you and been like, you know, mate, you know, I'm just gonna have to have a straight conversation with you. Those people go into a very special circle where they have been willing to have uncomfortable conversations with you. And they've really that's real true friendship and love and service. And so those people end up in a top shelf of when you're getting that whole freaking spectrum of opinion about any topic, they're the ones that I'm like, right, they just get, the other people get filtered out. So I've got you, you two idiots and I, you know, I really, we talk a lot offline and I just really have a huge amount of respect to you guys. And it's based on both of those things, the achievements you've had professionally in life, in relationships, in family. And then the things that we've talked about over this period and offline and in, in our private life, I know you guys have walked the walk and talked the talk in those areas and you've, you've been willing to be straight with me on, on topics. And then for me, number one is obviously Cheza, you know, because there's no one who's been more committed, you know, we're a long way in, you know, we've gone past 20 years together and we've, we've seen each other deal with amazing stuff like massive life challenges and so I know what she's capable of and I've seen her do it and I know that she will do that again in the future and she certainly has been straight with me when I've been drifting and so everyone's going to have people like that in your circle and it's filtering out the other opinions to get to that but I've also got this thing like just be careful that you're not being the asshole because that's always, always, always a strong chance, right? Like if you're hearing three or four people who have an opinion that's counter to yours, you have to weight that. But it's like how much weight do you give them versus yourself? And I think you have to look at these two things, like what's their history in that specific area versus yours? And what's their history of like really having your best intentions at heart? But then you've got to weigh that against your own. All of us have a proclivity to do stupid things and to value the short term over the long term and all those things, right? We all have a self-destructive uh, bent that we can follow pleasure-seeking behavior rather than seeking fulfillment and meaning. Anyway, there's something in there. <laughs> there's something in there about how you select, you know, and weighting people differently in different areas. You know, like what's their expertise? You know, you've got a mate and he's all over professional stuff. And he's giving you tax advice. You're like, oh, you know, maybe not. I might diminish him a little bit in this area. Mm -hmm. Is that resonating at all with you guys? Yeah, it is actually. 
What I was going to say, just to play the devil's advocate also, um, and I was just thinking more in my professional um, sect of my life, I guess you can say, and Melon, you might be able to, actually even you, Mike, you might be able to chime in on this too. I found, and this is kind of a general rule or mantra that I hold while I'm in the cockpit actively flying, Uh, because it's always a question that comes up by an employer. How do you deal with someone you don't get along with or someone you're having conflict with in the cockpit while you're actively flying? Clearly, the goal of anybody involved in cockpit operations should be safety. That should be the first priority. You're going to get from point A to point B, you're going to get there safely. Well, let's be honest, man, we're human, right? So I might be flying with someone who just, for whatever reason, we can't get along. Um, And, you know, maybe they happen to be the captain and I'm just the first officer or vice versa. I'm the captain. He's the first officer. And he just, he challenges everything I keep saying. And so the mantra that I've always held is I, I won't, if I argue, it'll always be an emotionally controlled argument. If it's something that needs to be done because it's the critical, critical component, like let's say I'm on a, on approach. So I'm coming on a standard instrument uh, approach into a busy airport. It's not the time to argue, right? It's like, you have to really know your 50 meter targets, hundred meter targets, you know? And if really, if this, what this person insists, like, let's say that we're talking airspeeds or just some, some nuance, right? And he's like, no, no, it's going to be this airspeed. As long as I know that I'm not violating any sort of my certificates or putting specifically anybody's life in danger, there's nothing wrong with setting my ego aside and being like, you know what? Maybe this person's correct. We'll do the thing that he wants because I've already, I've already, I've already scanned it. I've looked at it for, for potential critical uh, catastrophic, you know, results. If, if I decide to go this, this way. And then usually once we go past the critical phase, again, I'm talking about flying. So I've gone through the approach phase. I've, I've done the landing. I'll pull that person to the side and be like, Hey, this is why I wanted to do this, this thing. What I'm trying to allude to is that if you get a lot of resistance, as long as your judgment tells you that whatever you're about to do is not critical, whether it's your path or the other path, it's okay, right? Just because a lot of times it can be a, a conflict of egos where you're just like, well, no, I, my experience tells me blah, 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 blah. But it, it's kind of like, and I know, Mike, you've seen this before where you've got an old uh, crusty E8, E9 who says, you know, like, we've been doing it like this for 25 years. And there's a E nobody who goes, well, maybe this might be a better idea. What do you know? You just got here. Yeah. Well, hey, man, what if, it's, what if that idea is better? I mean, what if? I'm not saying it is 99% of the time, but what if it is better? Um, and so you have to, you have to, you have to pick the point in the place, and you have to make a quick assessment. Is this a, is this such a critical point in this in this whole event that if I kind of give up the reins a little bit, so to speak, is it going to be catastrophic? If it's not, then maybe empower them and be like, you know what, let's do it your way. And if and if it's a mistake, let's say that it turns out to be a mistake then that could be a learning point. Hey man, I saw that I saw this mistake coming up. I wanted you to see it firsthand. This is why I did I, this is why I wanted to do this. So you could always turn it and use it as a learning point. And I've done that more times than not where I just because I don't like arguing in the cockpit. It's not an atmosphere I like to set. I I don't you don't win anything because you completely lose sight of what's important, which is safety of and flight of the operation. Yeah. Well, it goes back to beliefs. You know, it's the, the whole George Carlin thing that I, I love, you know, it's just like everybody going past you is a maniac and everybody going slower than you is an asshole. I'm always right. Right. So the way I think the way everything that I know and what I'm doing in this moment is, is right. 
Okay. Uh, you know, it's like, Hey, the term, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat or what I like to clear a house. Okay. It's, you can do it a hundred different ways. What you're, what Raph is saying bare bones is do the checks yourself, lean back on the trusted process. In his experience, it's the landing manual and like all the systems. I'm not a pilot, thank God. But, uh, you know, he, he's referring back to what he knows and, and what's in kind of black and white. It doesn't waver too much uh, to get him where he needs to go. Um, so looking at it that way, ask yourself, what can you lean back in that environment or that situation where you can lean on it when you're getting the resistance and go, well, you know, yeah, you can do this math problem 10 different ways, but I can reference the math book. And this is how it shows me this way to do it, to get to the end state, you know, to get to the answer, but there could be three other answers. So, you know, that's when your judgment comes in and you kind of weigh, you know, 60, 40, 50, 50, you know, and, and make your best honest judgment off of that. Go ahead, Melon. I think, I think both of us, I think Raf and uh, Mike there, when we're talking about professional stuff, clearing a house, which I know zero about and flying an approach, which I do know a lot about, there's going to be, there's going to be incorrect ways to do things. There's going to be stuff that's, it's definitely wrong. You're outside the rule book you're making some sort of a violation or an error. And that's going to be knowledge and skill-based uh, expertise that is going to lead you to the correct decisions in those areas. I think that's what Raf and Mike are both talking about. But then there's going to be some nuance and there might be opinion around some other areas. And ideally, in a perfect world, those have been covered in the mission brief phase. And that, that area where there's a bit of a spectrum, you've been able to clarify how are you going to do it on that day with that team? You know, that uh, flight station flying into that airfield in Malaysia for the very first time, we're going to do it this way on this day. And then everyone's aligned. But that's you don't always brief every situation, right? And then it's like, how do you resolve that when you're in the, in the gravy stroke? And it's like, I think both of you guys are talking about some good stuff there where there's if it's incorrect and you know it's incorrect, that's a black and white. We're definitely not going to do that. And if there's room to move and that that person's opinion can be taken into account. You can potentially defuse a bit of tension. I think that's an excellent way to do it. I've got a question for both of you guys. How have you resolved um, conflict in those critical phases? Like in a flight station, for example, RAF, where there's uh, a conflict occurring, there's a really strong difference of opinions. And the same for you, Mike, like in a similar situation where there's people who are like certain that they're correct or there's a conflict and, you know, in both areas, obviously there's a whole lot of safety stuff that could go horribly wrong. People's lives at stake. So I'm interested to, to hear what, how that's played out for you. How's that, how's that worked for you there, Mike? Well, you know, I'll, I'll keep it to clearing a house. So what I mean by clearing a house is like an assault team and entry team going into a building to clear it. Okay. Uh, you can ask all four branches, and police SWAT, you can ask everybody, everybody's got their own little nuances and, and tactics and techniques that they love to do. And they'll be like, yeah, this is the best. It's the best because it works for them the best. And it's what they spend the most time on and doing. So are they wrong? No, because you can still get to the end state. It's just minor little things that can make it more efficient. And you got to be able to bend and, and go. Anyway, the point is uh, this happens all the time. Okay. In my line of work, 
all the time. You got guys like Raf said coming across as if you're like, I've been in the global war on terror for the last, you know, for the whole 21 years that we've been at war and this, that, whatever, you know, you, you don't know Jack young guy, you know, but what this guy doesn't know is this young kid just came in and he's, you know, an engineering person. And he's like, Hey, we don't need to go through the, through the door. We can go right through the wall because it's what it's made out of, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to be way better. Or we can come from the roof or the ceiling or up from the floor, you know, and it's just like totally different things. So the way to move forward with it, um, it, everything that we do, well, not everything, we'd like to do it in training and rehearsals first. So we get together, we talk about it and we lay out the framework. Okay. The framework was, we have a few rules uh, of close quarters combat that don't, they don't bend. Okay. They're like solid rules that you just don't break because you could shoot each other or clear back on one another and go into the same room with an enemy in between you or like whatever. So we always go back. Okay. Does this violate this, this rule? Because if it, if it's a yes, we're not doing it. Right. And it's that simple. And that's my reference. Um, Then what we do is once we know the framework and what's acceptable and what's not, we get together and we go in and we run it. Hey, let's put this scenario in there and apply, apply it and see if it works. You know, and then it's either for efficiency, for time, uh, you know, it could be a, a number of things. And then we just once we test it and we move through it a few times, we we take a step back and everybody has to be honest. And it's just, hey, what worked the best? How did it flow with our group? Was the communication solid? Um you know, uh, were we able to, in the worst situation, it might not be perfect, but you know, there's a couple things is like, I always tell guys, no matter what happens, okay. Be aggressive, uh, address the threat, even if somebody else has it and always go plate to plate. All right. What I mean by plate to plate is always protect your buddy. Okay. If I get shot, cause I messed up fine. You know, that's, that's my bad. If I don't do something and my buddy gets shot, uh, that's 10 times worse uh, to me. So as long as you're doing those three things and, you know, everything else goes to shit, you're probably still going to be nine out of 10 things are right. And you could probably still survive making it through the the house or whatever you had to do if you do those three things. So that's really, really down and dirty fast. I mean, I could go into that for days. But hopefully that makes sense of just leaning on that those rules, look at the framework, run and test it and make sure that it works uh, and then give an honest assessment at the end and be like, hey, was this better or, or was it not, you know, or or could we blend the two? Maybe we can develop a new system and blend them together to make it more efficient. All right. That's awesome. my bad. Nice. Thanks, man. How about you there, Raf? You know, I'm. I'm going to be pretty familiar with your world and conflict in the flight station. It's in the cockpits. It's a pretty terrible situation, but it does occur. How have you seen that play out and have you seen that resolved? So the uh, one that kind of comes to mind right now, and it's, it was a challenge only because the guy that I was flying with was actually a good friend of mine. He was a mentor, still is a mentor, this guy named uh, Reno. And he was giving me an actual test evaluation and, so I used to be what we call a maintenance test pilot in the Army aviation world. So that means I would take helicopters that weren't fully functional and I assess them for, you know, maybe weak engines or something wrong with the rotor system. And then 
after that diagnosis, we, you know, bring them back to my mechanics and they fix them. We'd go back out and I, I test them anyways. He was doing an evaluation, which is an annual thing. Um, and we were doing a maneuver where it's, it's probably the most high risk maneuver we do. And it's basically, we retard one of the engines and then the second engine, we take it out of uh, what we call, we take it into what we call lockout. So basically you've got this digital unit that controls how high the, uh, uh, thermal range and how high the torque range can can go right to protect itself well i took it out of that i took it out of the control out of that box and now i my hand physically controls those, those limitations which means now i have the ability to absolutely burn up an engine i have the ability to hit a high speed uh, or to basically you know um overspeed a shaft or something like that so it's a it's a very very high risk very critical maneuver and so only test pilots can do it Anyways, he's evaluating me on this maneuver. And while we're basically over water, uh, I notice in my scan, because while we're doing this, we're actually accelerating, right? So we're going from like 100 knots to about 160 knots or something in between. And so we're generating a lot of speed. I'm pulling, pull, you, know, you know, he's, so he's got some of the flight controls. I've got control of the engines and I'm advancing the engine as he's pulling power as we're generating speed. And as we're doing this, I start, and through my scans, I notice that the number one engine wasn't matching the input that the other engine was. And so I immediately knew that the number one engine completely just rolled back and said, nope, I'm not doing anything. And so basically everything was on that engine that I was holding that, you know, again, was at the edge of its limits. And uh, part of this maneuver, so I stopped and I, and I, it was really kind of partly, I kind of generated the, the mess because I said, hey man, the, I was like, the number one just rolled back on us. I can't go any further. And so Mike kind of did a quick assessment. He's like, oh, and he realized what I was talking about. He's like, oh yeah, you're right. He's like, and so the standard procedure for us after that happens is you're supposed to take the, you, you're supposed to get out of that maneuver altogether, which would require me to retard the number two engine back to idle so that basically the, D, the deck unit, that digital unit can take control of the engine. And then I would take it back to 100% back to fly. Well, if I did that, I literally would have like, I rotated the aircraft into the water. And I, and I understood that Mike had, hadn't put that together yet. I knew it was a matter of time, but I knew that he hadn't put that together. So now he went from my friend, Hey man, put it back to idols. Like, and I said, Mike, I can't do that. And I still had my hand on the uh, uh, power control lever. And so he, he, be, he kind of broke character. He's like, Hey man, put it back to normal. And I said, Mike, I can't do that. And he actually kind of started yelling at me. And I, you know, I didn't get offended. I, I understood his point of view. I knew, he didn't understand that if I took the number two back to normal, we would literally fault and we're only a thousand feet above the ground. So it would only take seconds before we're flaring into the drink. And so, and so I, again, I did a quick assessment of our altitude, our airspeed. I knew we had plenty of airspeed. And if we really did have to auto rotate, we were within glide distance. So what I did was I just took about half an inch of the power control lever. It was enough to droop the rotor. And of course, it all sunk in. Of course, expletives come. He's like, holy shit, don't go back to idle. I was like, I know, Mike, I've been trying to tell you this engine is the only thing keeping us aloft right now. And he's like, don't move. And I was like, I know I'm holding it where it's at. Let's just go back to base. We declared an emergency. We landed and everything was all well. Needless to say, I passed my check ride. But the point is, <laughs> it, it was partly my fault because I didn't use, I don't think there was certain terminology I should have used and I should have painted a clear, precise picture to him. And so he was kind of wearing multiple hats, right? He's my friend, but he's also my evaluator. 
And he's also the senior maintenance test pilot. And this guy has like 5,000 hours of doing these maneuvers. So trust me when I tell you, he's forgotten more than I knew. But at that moment, in that particular, those 30 seconds, I understood the gravity of what was going on. And I understood that if I'd retarded that number two engine back, we would be in the middle of an auto rotation, which is what you don't want to do. Um, so anyways, it just, um, but, but the point I'm trying to make, the way we did that was I made sure that we were in the right position, we are in the right profile. I just induced enough to show him what I was seeing. And once he understood that, he was like, oh, hell, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Let's turn this helicopter around and find a place to land. I'm like, Roger that. Um, so, that, so again, you know, controlling your emotions. I was trying to find the right words. I couldn't do it. And so I was like, I know that if I just do this one thing, he's going to understand what I, what I just caught a minute ago. So that is such a perfect description of what we're talking about here of trusting yourself versus trusting the other and waiting opinions and so on. And this is a perfect example because this is, he's the aircraft captain. That's correct. Isn't it, Raf? He's the aircraft captain. He's a more senior test pilot and he's doing your evaluation at the time. You're in a live assessment at the time. So all of the power and authority is actually on his side of the aircraft in that relationship, in that critical moment. And he thinks you're making an error. And, you know, do you trust yourself? Do you do what he says? And there's a lot, there's a, you know, people can watch that air crash investigators or look stuff up online. There's plenty of times when we call it an adverse cockpit gradient, the senior one and the junior one back in the day, you know, the, the old World War II guys used to scream and yell at these young co-pilots and, you know, never give them any weighting on their opinion. There's plenty of aircraft that have crashed where one person at flight station knew they were going to crash and still went along with what they've been told to do. So in this example, you had the critical piece of information that was missing, but you're the junior guy and you're in the position of how do you get that info over? And adding missing information is very difficult in the moment. And I, and I know you're probably talking about some key words and phrases and the way the words were supposed to come out didn't happen. And you've referred it to just a small demo. <laughs> like everyone's going to see here, the evidence is going to be clear. But Absolutely. I mean, this is a per this is a perfect example, right? Because it's it's underway. You're flying. You're in motion. The mission is underway, and you had the missing piece of information that the senior person didn't have. And how do you how do you get that across in a way that maintains a relationship, but also doesn't violate safety? Perfect example. Yeah, and I will if if I just could add to that having. Having Reno there as my evaluator, again, I mentioned earlier, he was my friend. And believe it or not, that added another layer of difficulty because this is a guy that I genuinely looked up to. Again, this is a mentor. I didn't want to disappoint him. And it, it was, and again, comparing myself at the time, I probably had 1,500 hours, maybe 1,800. I mean, so I was a nobody. And this guy has 5,000 hours, well over 20 years of service. Senior W4, probably going to pin W5 soon. I mean, this is a guy who wrote the book, right, so to speak. And so it was a really precarious situation because I was like, I know that I knew that in my gut because of the way I understood the systems. I knew what was happening and he just hadn't, you know, it's not that it was beneath him. It's just he hadn't put all the dots together. But I, and I, and to, so what I'm trying to get at is it's interesting because being friends with him made it a little difficult because it also added that pressure of I don't want him to be mad at me as his friend. But at the same time, being his friend allowed me to just be like, look, I understand Reno. Once he 
cools down, he's going to see what I'm seeing. Right. So it was kind of a double-edged sword to be his friend all, you know, and having him as a mentor. Yeah. I, I would just like to add, I'm, I'm so glad that I was never on that damn helicopter when you were doing that MTP shit, because God, I, I probably never get back on one again, <laughs> but Raf put me in, into a, uh, into a little free, free hover a couple times in Afghanistan and the Argandab mountains where we were up and then we were diving down into the valley where I had my, my, my helo lanyard connected to the floor and my feet were hanging out and I'm floating hanging onto the ceiling and I'm just like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> you know, he's up there in his three point harness and stuff and I'm back there floating around like an idiot. But uh, anyways, uh, I just want to put out, you know, this is a really good thing to assess people on uh, is the decision making part. So I think everybody kind of knows that some people just float and go with the flow because so-and-so told me I was supposed to, uh, hey, he told me I was supposed to do that. So I did it, you know, sort of stuff, especially when you're evaluating leaders uh, or you're giving them some responsibility um, test them out and just be like, you know, I know, you know, your stuff, but you could go to somebody that's up and coming or even a friend in a situation, you know, that, that could be part of a relationship or anything else and just test them and be like, yeah, you know, we, we don't have to do that. You know, we could just skip it and, um, we can do a, B and C, right. Right. And you know what the right answer is, but you're testing them to see if they're like, if they're going to take that second and be like, no, that's not what we should do. And they're thinking for themselves and you can see them starting to get the why, like Raf said, where he was just like, oh, now it's clicking of like, you're, you're forcing them to go kind of internal and go through the, the checklist themselves and be like, no, that's not right. You know, that's a good assessment that you can do with people in any aspect of your life, you know, whether it's a social or professional or anything else, like you can really apply that and see if a person's like really thinking for themselves, if they're retaining the information and, and going through that process and questioning themselves if they're right or not. Um, or, you know, you'll see them just turn and be like, oh, well, the instructor so-and-so told me to, so I did it without knowing the why or, or the how. You know, and it's, that's a, that's a good assessment that you can do. I'm just, you know, that came to mind. That's why they do those checks. And I've heard Raph many times when he's trying to teach me shit, you know, and then I call him out and he's like, oh, I was just, you know, I was just seeing if, if you knew the answer. I'm like, you're such a liar. <laughs> so it's a good cover too, if you don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> it's, it's a, like, it's such a, a good point there of um, the full knowledge and, and like put yourself in a both positions, you know, because there's going to be plenty of things that you are a person with genuine expertise in. It could be personal or professional in your own life. People coming to you for advice and stuff or you being the senior person in these relationships and that person coming in with a query could be the one like Raf in this situation has the missing information that you absolutely need right now. But there's plenty of other times when they could be in the wrong, but how do you create an environment where it's okay for them to bring those things up so that you can get all of the information? And I've seen people do this really well, like writing things down as they're talking and they're going, yeah, you know, these are the three things that I wrote first before you said them. And those things have all been taken into account already in this decision. But, but how do you not shut that person down? Cause we've all seen that as well. The person with the missing information gets nailed 
the worst is in public and then they're shut down, not just for that iteration, but probably for a long time out in the future. Perfect example. Well, we're probably getting close to the end of uh, how long we want to keep our trusted listeners for. So this is a topic on like self-belief versus other people's opinions. <laughs> <laughs> it's time. Well, He's free. The bean, the bean is running free with the buffalo. <laughs> There's no holding him back. Um, and Mike had some really good points there around the comfort zone, fear zone, learning zone, and growth zone of comfort zone. You, you're not learning. You're not doing anything new. And honestly, it's okay to operate there. And probably a lot of us do in our normal routine areas. And then there's going to be, you're confronted with something new and you're going to perhaps go into fear zone, excuses and low confidence, then learning zone, which could be academic, social, emotional, or physical, as you're acquiring that new skill or that new knowledge. And then the growth zone, where you are actually achieving the vision, there's accomplishment and there's uh, goals are occurring. Uh, I raise the topic of trusted advisors and weighting people based on two things, one being the history of achievement in that particular area, and the second one being the history of wanting the best for you. And this is obviously thinking about personal life uh, advice. There was some discussion there around the flight station or clearing a, a building where there's skills and rules and there'll be some knowledge-based uh, black and white stuff where there's a whole bunch of things you definitely won't do, but then there might be a whole bunch of areas where there might be just a preferred technique. And you might be able to accommodate someone's opinion there and keep them you know, on site and happy. And the best place to resolve this stuff is in the training rehearsals and briefing. We can clarify any of those technique zones and get everyone clear on the same page. And uh, conflict resolution for RAF. So understanding, understanding the other person's point of view. So in that instance, RAF actually did have the global information where he actually knew not only what was happening, but he also understood his mate Reno's position that he was missing some information and he's going to call for this particular checklist, but that that was not the correct one. And he was able to pass that information despite the fact that the words weren't working. He was able to give him a demonstration, drip the old rotors. Nothing's going to get your attention <laughs> faster than that. So hopefully there's uh, something in that for everyone. So there's going to be times when you do have all the answers and there's plenty of times when that's not going to be the case. And how do you know whether the other person's opinion is valid on that day or in that moment, well, it's going to be a decision. But I think that there's some good stuff there where you can go through and weight the other person's opinion and then weight your own. And there's going to be times when you've got to back yourself, but there's plenty of times when you might be the asshole. So don't write the other people's opinions off, you know, because if they've got a depth of knowledge and they've got a certainly a depth of having a history of your best interests, you know, you, you'd be well-placed to, to factor that in. For this episode, Raph, is there any uh, other points you wanted to leave people with just on self-belief versus other people's opinions? Well, the other thing I was going to say, but I, I just want to cut it short was, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to make a mistake, whether it's based off of your decision or the decision of somebody else that you went with, because we all know that most of what we learn is through mistakes. So even if you, enabled somebody else like let's say you and i are flying and you say hey we need to do this one thing hold this airspeed for whatever reason on a climb out and we find out later that it wasn't the airspeed to hold well we both just learned something and and that's okay too right so 
again, my mantra has always been, I don't want to fight in the cockpit. You know, if it comes down to like an ego against ego, trust me, I'm going to step down. Either I learned something, either you taught me something, or when we get to the ground, we'll discuss it. And maybe we both learn something, or maybe I, I, I'm allowed to teach you something, but um, yeah, it's okay. It, no matter which path you go, as long as it's not critical, it's not going to be catastrophic. You're not going to cost anybody their life or hurt anything. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with just get, empowering somebody. Hey, even if you know the chances of them kind of slightly failing, it's okay too, you know, because that's usually how, I mean, let's be honest, man, that's our greatest teacher, right? Failures. That's our, our greatest accomplishments rose up and we're born from our failures. So we can't forget that. Lovely. And how about you then, Mark? Is there any other uh, points on this topic that you wanted to drop just before we close? Yeah, I just got one. So kind of trusting your gut, you know, more than likely, you're probably in the in the ballpark of being right. At least if you're not right, you're you're picking up that your intuition is saying, hey, something's off. Right. And that's kind of what Raph was alluding to. So just to close it out, you know, if, um, you know, the holidays are coming up, you know, there's Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas and New Year's and stuff. If you find yourself traveling and you're on a plane and you're sitting back in a nice, comfy relaxation chair and you hear, good evening, everybody. This is First Officer Raph Tio Espinosa, and I will be your pilot for this this evening. Uh, we're going to be cruising at 30,000 feet. Flight time is two hours and 26 minutes. Sit back and relax and don't worry about anything at the engines. Don't look out the windows. Nothing's wrong. And uh, have, a good, have a good night and see you soon, right? If you hear something like that, trust your gut, get off the plane, file a complaint, and fly another airline. Because when you're right, you're right. When you know, you know, All right? That's what I'll leave it off at. Ha, ha, ha. The joke's on you. These planes fly themselves. Wait, I've already said too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right great stuff so again just a, a quick one we've got our little goal of trying to hit uh, 50 reviews 100 ratings and double our social media footprint by the end of the year so any assistance you guys can provide there sharing it out to people where we're trying to really provide a benefit to our community so from uh, all of us to all of you guys stay safe stay focused uh you know let us know what you think about self-belief versus other people's opinions and you know maybe times when you were wrong or when the other person was wrong maybe that they'll they'll crop up and you can let us know at not your average mike 77 not your average raf not your average paul at gmail.com take care